welcome to episode 133 of Literary Disco. Hark, the herald angels scream. Continuing, continuing in our tradition of reading the most bizarre Christmas books we can find after we read a Christmas-themed romance oh novel God, a couple of years yes. ago. On today's episode, we will read and discuss a new collection called Hark, the herald angels scream, edited by Christopher Golden. This new release is an all-Christmas-themed horror stories collection, and it is all kinds of crazy. Yeah. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are essayist and novelist Todd Goldberg. That's well, right. it's accurate. Oh, I am an essayist. <laughs> I mean, it's true. You, you yeah. Be- <laughs> I mean, I've... I've published a ton of essays. Well, I wrote you're a more novelist and critic, Todd Goldberg, and Julia uh, is yeah. essayist and radio personality, Julia. Is she Pistel. really a radio Hi, personality guys. anymore? Well, that's a I good mean, question. Well, she's a podcast personality. <laughs> yes. Podcast personality. It's like saying podcast star Ryder Strong here on his podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's well, gotten you know, we, things evolve, except for the intro. Right. The intro never evolves. Right. Well, now, you know, we're in the middle of an evolution. So once we get fully evolved with our show here, which is going to happen very soon, listeners, we'll change the opening to accurately reflect who each of us are. So it will be sad, portly Jew, <laughs> Todd Goldberg. Okay. <laughs> your childhood crush, who's now the man of your dreams. Right I thought that was going to be me. <laughs> I know, I was waiting and, for it. Oh, no, I'm glad I, that I, he just went self-deprecating. Yeah. Todd's, Todd's learned not to insult Julia and Ryder right. on the show. I Actually, I described you very well on the internet yesterday, Julia, when I once again told people that we were trick-or-treating together. I referred to you as incandescent as a candle. Oh, that's kind of redundant. Screaming about the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> All of which is true. Wait, where did All we go trick-or-treating together? Oh, um, we went trick-or-treating together in Boise, Idaho. Okay. We met at the Dairy Queen on Boise Avenue last night. We're, we're recording this, ladies and gentlemen, the day after Halloween. We met at the Dairy Queen on Boise Avenue at 7 p.m. last night. Did anyone believe you? I think a few people did. Um, I said that we'd be in costume. Okay. And uh, if someone was there that looked like David Schwimmer... That was me in my, in okay. my costume. Now, I was, Did you guys well, see that? I feel like I feel like Halloween's Halloween's like a big deal for you. It's like it's like still gets, yeah. it, it taps into some like inner does. Todd that makes you really happy. It does. It totally does. Like and you would totally you know go trick or treating if it wasn't creepy. Oh my god. So, okay. As you guys both know. I know where this and is. And as going. anyone who follows follows me on the internet knows, we're the full size house. We're the full size house. And that matters in this world. Like, it's important to know that the people who give out the full-size candy bars on Halloween are good people. So we're the full-size house. So, and hold on. when the kids like, come... Why is that important? Isn't it more important to know that the people who give out toothbrushes are actually good people? No, like, nice, fuck cool those people. people. Too? Fuck, fuck those people. <laughs> no. What if, you did both, you a, what if you were the house that gave out... Can't, like, giant, you know, what, what, what kind of candy bars are we talking when you're talking full-size? Like, Hershey's or... <laughs> No, you can't be both. You, you're either the person who gives out the good stuff or you're the asshole. Um, so the reason or the joy that I get from handing out the full size is though metered by the fact that sometimes the kids don't recognize because they're, it's dark that they're getting the full size. Yeah. And so I'll say something along the lines of, D- did you notice you got the full size? 
And then they're and like, then just... I'm a kid. I'm only allowed to eat candy three times a year. And they don't even right. know what's and going I... on. And I'm like, it's a full-size Reese's. There's a lot of pride <laughs> wrapped up in this for you. And I am I hope yeah. you talk about it in therapy, honestly. Well, I've, I've not not talked about it in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I will I'll tell you like that. But basically, I love the holidays. Like from... From Halloween to Christmas, I'm I'm fully engaged. Yeah, it is fun. Um, it's a fun run. But for Halloween too, I just like I like to be outside with the neighbors and talking to the kids and handing out the candy. But then Wendy says I'm a little creepy. Like, don't talk to the kids too much. That's creepy. Hmm. And I'm like, is it creepier than the fact that I'm wearing a shirt that says full size candy bars only? And then I'm asking each kid if they notice that they got the full size. I think that's all. It's all one package. Oh my god. <laughs> You know, it's sort of like there's this there's this um, there's this discussion. And do you guys remember the movie Before Sunrise? Yes. Yeah, it's Before Sunrise, the first one, the first one of those that trilogy. And they have this debate about like she's talking about how she feels like she's an old lady looking back on her life, and he's like, I feel like I'm still a 15 year old boy looking forward to being an adult. Uh Right. I feel like this is this is a like Todd, you live your life like you're still like 11 between the ages of 11 and 15, and you're like getting away with being an adult. Yeah. And this is like a little glimpse into that psychology where (laughs) that is that's you're basically you're being the guy answering the trick or treat door that you wish had answered it for yes. you when you were that yes <laughs> yes writer I, you could have saved me 30 bucks every two weeks for the last 15 fucking years <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like adult imposter syndrome it's okay <laughs> okay well all this halloween talk is 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 actually somewhat appropriate given the yes. book that we are reading totally. um because this book is sort of like a nightmare before christmas grown up right in that it mashes up horror with Christmas, um, I I om- it's I thought it was going to be holiday stories, but it's all Christmas stories. There's no Hanukkah, there's no Kwanzaa. Yeah. It's just just Christmas. Anti-Semitism um, <laughs> on the rise. <laughs> this is actually um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but this book is put out as a Blumhouse Books original. Uh, Blumhouse oh. is the film company that has like taken over Hollywood. Oh. So I guess Anchor Books now has an imprint that is just going to be all horror books from Blumhouse. Oh, isn't that interesting? Um, yeah. So yeah, so we're looking at um, this book has a lot of stories. I've, um, and I think most of our conversation is going to be trying to remind me which story is which <laughs> and what happens in it. Um, should be a yeah, great podcast. Yeah, there's about podcast. 20 or 30 stories in here. And I should they note that vary this, um... in content <clears throat> and in quality. Um <laughs> So where do we want to start here, guys? Well, let me first just uh, let uh, listeners know sort of the history of this is that there is in genre fiction a rich history of holiday anthologies. So particularly in the romance genre, there's all these Christmas romance anthologies where they will put together six or seven big name romance authors to write short stories or novellas, and they put them out at Christmas. And they're huge sellers. Um, and for years and years and years, it was mostly just the romance field that did this. And then recently, uh, other genres have gotten into it. So you guys might remember last year, uh, I was in a book called The Usual Santas. Yeah. And it was a <laughs> book of crime stories that take place at Christmas time. Um, and according to my royalty statements, it was hugely successful. <laughs> Which makes you wonder why I got paid so little. Um, so wait, you didn't write a Hanukkah story either? You you went no, Christmas? No, no, no. I wrote a Christmas story. <laughs> Anti-Semitism <laughs> yeah. yeah, is on the rise. It's on the rise. 
It's even getting to the Jews. Um, <laughs> Dark. Yeah, I wrote a Christmas story. Um, because uh, no one wants to read about a fake Jew. Oh, wait. No, I already did that. Um, yeah. So <laughs> th- I was not surprised when this book came out. Uh, we got review copies of this uh, a couple months ago. Um, that there's no horror at Christmas. And I'm sure that there's other ones just like it. Um, but it is sort of a neat way to get into the Christmas spirit, reading about, um, you know, terrible, awful, horrible things that happen at the holidays. It prepares you for dinner with the family. So, yeah, let me jump in and say how I summarized this to my husband. I was He was like, so what is it? What are they about? And I was like, well, they're horror stories, but they all take place on Christmas Eve. <laughs> like some of these are fairly Christmassy <laughs> at all. They're on Christmas yeah, Eve, they're snowing, or there's presents. And you only have to have right. one of the three. And now it's a Christmas story. Right. So this is yeah. really primarily I have, I have to say, though, it kind of creates a nice atmosphere. Sure. I mean, there yeah. is something about that sort of like the fireplace is going, it's snowing outside, the moonlight, and you're like kind of cozy and want hot chocolate that does lend itself well to horror. So just, yes. even, you know, even though, even though it only takes place in the snow on Christmas Eve, I mean, that's most of these stories, that's the only Christmas Eve element. Uh, I still kind of like that. I thought that was kind of well, cool. And there's also the idea that on Christmas, you know, you're with your family and it's just your family, but the legend of Christmas or the theory of Christmas and all that stuff that goes along with it is that if a stranger should come to your door on Christmas Eve, well, of course you'd let them in. Mm-hmm. It's Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. What could go wrong with a fat stranger in an odd suit? Da, 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 da. <laughs> that's, Santa. that's Santa Claus. Yeah, I mean, another trope that's showing up a lot in, the, in like five of these stories and also as a side note like three or four of them in a row which really bothered me was like the dad who's shitty and has to make uh, up for it with yes. gifts like that's really hackneyed but like one story okay it's part of it but then they were arranged all in a row and I was just like this is not this is becomes too obvious but right yeah <sighs> and okay here's the larger issue then we can start talking about the individual stories I am beginning to feel like I am incapable of being scared while reading fiction anymore. Mm. Because, like, I'm reading a story and I'm like, well, it's just a story. This isn't real. So, <laughs> I'm not scared. So, none of these like, I feel, got under your skin feel, at all? Um, no. I mean, like, they were enjoyable. The only one that really bothered me, like, on a visceral level... Um, is there's a story called Love Me by Thomas <laughs> Nagoski, which is one of the most disturbing stories I've ever read in my entire life. And it could have taken place at Christmas or any other time. But we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I, none of them scared me because also too many of them, because they're short stories, and this is you know the burden of the short story compared to the novel, is the horrifying thing is what happens at the turn of the last page. Yeah. Um, which is right. essentially, oh, my right. God, some, the monster is about to show up, but it's the end of the story, and the reader knows what the um, characters do not. And that just always makes me go, eh. no. Yeah, it can be abrupt. I think if you have a jump yeah. scare in these stories, then it has to be the ending, or at least that's how they, it seems to be presented. But Yeah, and I, I mean... I don't know. I, I don't read as much horror fiction, obviously, as I did when I was a kid. And I know, you know, Ryder and I specifically grew up on on horror. Um, and so maybe it's just that I've inured myself because I've seen all of the, the big things you can do in the genre. 
you, listeners who've been around for a long time might remember that um, we were joined one episode by our friend Stephen Graham Jones to bring us the most horrifying book ever to read, which was uh, The Girl Next Door. And that wasn't scary because it was ghosts. It was scary because it was the most disturbing thing I've ever read or any of us have ever read in our yeah. entire lives. I burned my copy and it screamed as it burned. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's, again, it's not scary, right? It's just kind of horrifying. What it says about the world is yeah, so disturbing it's and horrifying. Chilling. It's chilling. Yeah. I, you know, this is an interesting conversation because I, I don't know if I was ever that scared of books. Not in the same way that I remember being scared of movies as a kid. I read mm-hmm. a lot of horror. Like, I mean, I grew up absorbing, you know, the Dean Koontz and the Stephen Kings and all that. But I think I read those mostly because I, I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> or it was like right. a... You know, and, but re, and, and, and I think there was this great suspense in those books that kept me going. But I don't remember. I wasn't one of those people who, like, had to take my copy of It and put it in the freezer or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You always hear about these people. Yeah, that was me. Uh, <laughs> my wife is one of them. I think she, The Shining, she, like, had to keep under her bed because she was so scared of it when it wasn't, you know, when she wasn't reading it or whatever. Um, so, yeah, but I wasn't, I was never, I've never really been that scared of, like, I rem- movies used to scare the crap out of me. Uh, now, neither do. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Like, I haven't, like, maybe a jump scare at a movie, you know, if something's like, and it's suddenly loud and there's right. a skeleton, I'll jump. But uh, otherwise, like, I don't get really that scared anymore. I'm trying to think if. I like the Baba Duke didn't scare me, but I found it entertaining. So I, oh man, I'm sure we talked about this in that other episode years ago, but I have two distinct memories of reading books when I was like right at the age where I was probably first experiencing horror at all in any form when I was like eight or nine. And I do remember throwing this one book across the room because I was so scared. Um, (laughs) and then I, and that was about, that was by William Slater and it was called, yes, we did talk about this because I remember you guys making fun of me. It was called Interstellar Pig. Yes. And uh, that was very scary. Oh, Interstellar Pig returns to the disco. It's it's so deep in my psyche. I'll never forget it. Um, and then another one about called the dollhouse murders where it was like a creepy dollhouse and the dolls were moving around on their own. And that's just scary. And if you're a nine year old kid like that's scary that's scary on its own but i know what you mean Ryder. like my sense of being scared by a movie is really like it takes a lot but then i have become overconfident that things won't be that scary and then once in a while a movie will just destroy me so i just watched hereditary a couple weeks ago oh and I that, seen that oh, right we yeah, talked about it really lot, yeah. scared me but um you know i just watched the haunting of hill house and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is, I was like, I know this is scary, but it didn't like scare me, scare me. See, Wendy. The was- last movie that made me wake up at night with visions of the movie and like actually kind of half dream was uh, It Follows. Yeah. Did you guys yeah. see It Follows? Yeah, that's, no. that's Very a brilliant creepy. film. Um, and yeah, um, and that, uh, that, for whatever, you know, that movie's visual recurring image which i don't want to give away but everybody should see the movie because you know um but the visual image that recurs just haunted me like for a while the the last scary movie actually that really scared me was the foreign the original version of let the right one in Mm -hmm. Um, oh it's so good which is a really good film and that one actually freaked me out um but like wendy was watching the haunting of hill house and I, i wasn't watching it um and one night she's like, "Are you are you coming to bed now?" And I was like, "Oh, I was going to stay up and work for a little bit longer." She's like, "Well, why don't you, why don't you work in bed?" I was like, "Well, you know, my back is sort of bothering me. I don't want to work in bed." She's like, "I need you to come to bed." I was like, "Oh," I was like, "Was that was it scary?" She's like, 
No, it's not scary. It wasn't scary. I'm fine. It's fine. But you should come to bed. It's the bent like, neck lady. Anyone who's watching. All right. <laughs> the lady with a bent neck that's very creepy. Oh. Yeah, it was like the fourth or fifth episode she had watched in one day, and she was a little off. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little off. But, well, let's uh, let's talk about some of these stories that we have here. Um, the, the one that I mentioned first, Love Me, by um, Thomas E. Snagoski. Um it's a really weird story. Um, and it's right like it's right up my alley initially because it's about a petty crook uh, who has to get right with his family at the holidays and he needs a little money and his wife or his ex-wife wants him to get a real job and he's like, I'm going to get a real job. And then he goes to the bar because he can't get a real job and his buddy is like, well, I heard about a score if you're interested in a score. That's where it takes a turn. <laughs> Excuse me as I choke on the weird monkey on the breast. Um, what happens next is the main character, his name is uh, Flynn. He is told about this score, which is an apartment above an old antique shop where an old woman lives. And uh, her husband is dead, and there's, there's just jewels and everything in there. All you got to do is rob the place. It's easy, one, two, in and out. And so the guy's going to break in, and just as he's about to break in, the old lady calls down to him and says, I need your help. I know you're there to rob me, but I need your help. Please come up and help me. And already you're like, don't go in there. Something yeah, creepy's no, happening. Don't. So this is horrible. This is horrible. And then he goes in, and that's when it begins to fall apart. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> we won't give away the ending. This is all still the premise. But basically this lady has this mon- – it's a monkey, right? It's a monkey in my mind. It's some little creature. It's a monster. It's a little it's a, creature. It's some little creature that... It's a metaphor for having yes, children. I yes. know. Let's just call it what it is. It's, this is a story about a dad's guilt and, and how his life has been ruined by the fact that he has children. So, right. That's correct. Yeah. So. so this little creature is just so needy that it sucks the life force by a breastfeeding out of anyone who possesses it. And it, yeah, it goes so on from he, there. There's a, a point in time where the robber, Flynn, is talking to this woman um, whose name is uh, Betty. And she's talking about the end of the relationship with her husband and how uh, this thing, you know, just sucked the life out of him. And it need constant attention to survive and constant love. And while she's talking, the narrator or the main character, Flynn, sees something moving beneath uh, her sweater. And then I'm, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read this little bit here. Before Flynn could finish his question, it crawled from beneath her sweater, furry paw pushing back the lapel, its button-like eyes fixed upon him, and it spoke. Love me, it said in a high-pitched, childlike voice. Sorry, right, I'm doing voices, motherfuckers. I love it. it makes it scarier. <laughs> Flynn recoiled at the sight of the oddity. Betty's sweater fell open. Her pale skin was marked by angry red welts where the black-furred thing held onto her. It looked like a toy, a stuffed animal, but it was somehow alive. Love me, it said in an angry cat-like hiss. It needs constant attention to survive, the old woman said, her voice sounding very tired. 
She shifted in her overstuffed chair and exposed her left breast, at which point I vomited, a nearly airless balloon. <laughs> Constant love, she continued, pushing the thing's head toward her. And here's two words I've never read together before. Scabbed nipple. Oh, I've read that. Many oh, times. And Merry Christmas. That's, real. Merry that's, that's Christmas. your average internet search. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? If you, if you look up breastfeeding on the internet, that's... You uh, I don't obviously, don't, all the comments. obviously don't the read Kelly the, Mom every day. I'm the guy in the so full-size candy bar hat. <laughs> so clearly Thomas E. Snigoski uh, either just had a baby... <laughs> Or is planning to have a baby and is very worried about it. This is like when you realize that um, the movie Eraserhead David Lynch made when he found out his wife was pregnant, and like the whole movie makes a lot more sense because you're like, oh, you were just terrified that you had no idea how to take care of a baby, and so you create this whole creature feature around it. It's so weird. Um, uh, it's so funny. I actually did like this story. I thought this was fun. It's like, fun, you it's know, this is one of those story, where yeah. the twist at the end is ridiculous and absurd. Yes, it's a creature. But you know what? Like, it was well written, and I like the whole crime factor. And, you know, the suspense was there. I don't know. Like, that was, that was, that was one of the more fun more fun stories in here. It was, it was like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. That's why I like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, th- yeah. There's a twist ending that you see coming about 30 miles ahead. But the joy of this story is just like... Oh my god, this is a really weird situation. What do you do when you are robbing a place and you end up instead taking a monster home with you accidentally? <laughs> like, oh shit. Right. Yeah. How do I tell the cops about this? Yeah. Twilight Zone <laughs> is a good analogy. Uh, Julia, do you have a story you want to talk about? Yeah. So this is another story that I thought was really Twilight Zone-y. Um, it was really early in the collection. Um, Christmas in Barcelona. This was probably my favorite of the stories. Um, and it's just, it's really simple. It's about a couple who, like, they've also just had a baby. Like I said, these stories are not, I do not <laughs> like the way this collection is arranged because they're clustered <laughs> together, so the stories are almost identical. Um, right. Anyway, similarly, they've just had a baby, but they, like, want to be cool parents, so they go to Barcelona. I identify with this. I'm sure Ryder does as well, having gone to New Zealand with a baby. Uh Ryder's like Ryder had a baby and like the head came out. He grabbed Alex, put her on a plane, and was like, "We're going to Borneo." <laughs> no, we went to Bali. And it's not... Look, our goal was every year, if we can, to go somewhere internationally, and we've we've done it. So we've been to Barcelona, <laughs> but, but Bali, you hadn't even, you hadn't even Iceland, cut the umbilical cord, and you're trying to get <laughs> Indy through TSA. Anyway, this couple, just like Ryder and Alex. <laughs> Goes to Barcelona. Um, and, but, like, things are going wrong. They're fighting. And one of the things I like about the story is there's a lot of suspense that isn't resolved. Um, that's just mm-hmm. about setting the mood and kind of setting the marriage in a way that's not as obvious in some of the other ones. Like, there's a conversation his wife has in Catalan with a cab driver um, and he can't understand it. And you're like, oh, is this what this story's going to be about? But it ends up being about he finds these, like, magical Christmas toys. Um, and it ends in a very abrupt, very creepy way. Um, and I, I don't know. I just liked it. It, like, didn't overdo it on the horror. It it wasn't no. like, and yeah. now, da, 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 da. It was just a regular story with a little bit of magic. And then it went wrong, which is, I think, a good way to do horror. 
Yeah, because it's it's also kind yeah. of cute magic. Yeah. Um, because the toys that he buys are like they come alive and they're doing funny things, and you're like, oh, like this is a like, weird shit happens when you go to Barcelona. Yeah. You know, like you get a leather jacket you don't need. <laughs> Rider. <laughs> You stay out too you late. You stay out too late. You drink sangria until you make a really poor decision. And, and the other thing to note about this story is that uh, the two main characters, the husband and wife, are essentially in a disassociated, sleepless haze. Yeah. And so you don't really know what's real and what's not that they're experiencing because they're in that point beyond exhaustion. Um, and their baby's a baby on top of everything else. And so like, you're like, is this really happening to these people? Um, mm-hmm. it, like, there's a lot of sleeping in lobbies, which is always the worst. Yeah. Ugh, this one reminded yourself. me a lot of um, of Stephen King uh, hmm. short stories. Uh, there's actually a Stephen King short story that I think is somewhat similar, where a guy is like attacked by a bunch of toy soldiers in a hotel room. Do you remember this? Do either? No. Oh yeah. I think it's in like the Night Shift collection. Yeah. But, um, but this, but 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 I think this reminds me of Stephen King exactly for the reasons that Julia pointed out that it's not um, like Stephen King just is really he's effortless at his horror. You know, it's like it it, it almost it's not a, his stuff is 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 I mean obviously horror in but I mean he almost could have been a writer in any genre. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like his stuff is just well written and they're usually just great short stories and then they'll just have that one little surreal or magical element and you're mm-hmm. like. I don't know how I feel about that. And then they, you know, end with a little awfulness like this. And that's, that's like a really, I, I feel like when, when horror short stories try to be horror movies, yeah. they usually fail. There's mm-hmm. a lot of or those. Or when they try to, in this book. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of those. I mean, well, even the one we just talked about, like a lot of the like creature story stuff relies on like seeing a creature. Like if, if you're not seeing it and you have to, take three paragraphs to describe it, it becomes less scary sometimes. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just feel like horror is one of those things. It's, it's, it's really tricky. It's almost better to not write a horror until you have to. Yeah. Like for example, well, the final story in this collection, which isn't bad, but I was just like, this person wants to write a movie and here it is in this book, which is about mm-hmm. like a creepy yeah. Japanese lady who lives in chimneys. Uh, I mean, I find that pretty scary. <laughs> I, the, but, the entire idea yeah. of someone living inside of your house and you can't see them is one of those things that I have nightmares about. Like, oh, I didn't realize there was a wall inside of our wall and there's a man who lives in there. Yeah. So, like, the idea is very scary. But just like you're saying, Ryder, like, the description of, like, a ghostly woman with long black hair in front of her face, I'm like, the ring. <laughs> I just right. can't. Well, yeah, but that one was a particularly bad. That one was the reference was like so on the nose. I mean, it literally makes an Asian character in a time and place when there probably wouldn't be an Asian character, like what, 19th century London? Right. So he created, and then it's like just so he can describe Japan did exist. The ring like movements where she like unfolds herself from the uh, fire. The Man's Bride is the name of the story. Yeah. I actually really did like the story, partly, I think, because it was longer and it was allowed to develop the sort of world, which I love like chimney sweeps and like the idea of like being a, whatever, 11 year old boy and having to go up a chimney to sweep it out uh, is terrifying. Yeah. It just as at first. And then, you know, all the class issues I thought were interesting. And, but yeah, then when I realized it was like, Oh, this is somebody had the idea, like the image of the ring girl, right? The woman from the ring coming out of a chimney. I'll to combine that with a chimney sweep from, 
a uh, you know um, oh wow William Blake poem. Mm-hmm. I think they're like actually named after the William right. Blake chimney sweeper poem because it's Tom and Harry, which are the two characters from those poems. But like that's uh, oh, I was disappointed. But I loved that world. Um, yeah, and I, and I thought it was pretty well written. Yeah. To go back though to the the story of the the toys that come alive. Um, the thing about that story that actually made it more effective for me than the other stories is that though it's supernatural, it doesn't actually have to be supernatural to be horrifying. So, like, there's this undercurrent throughout the story that there's something wrong with the baby. It's screaming and crying for an entire flight. It doesn't stop crying even when they get to Europe. They can't get this baby to quiet down. There's something wrong with it. And then... They're, they bring these toys back to the hotel room and Baby's the asleep. baby isn't crying anymore. The baby's asleep. Um, everything seems quiet and calm. And then they realize, oh, my God, where's the baby? Why isn't the baby making any noise? And there's a part of it that maybe that one of the toys is involved or the actual more rational thing is, oh, my God, you know, something's terribly wrong with our baby and, and now it's died in its sleep. So I like that it can work on two levels. Mm-hmm. It's where it only works on one level. Where I, it's just, it's hard for me oftentimes to suspend that disbelief. Like the story that's about the Christmas shoes song and everyone killing themselves? Yeah, that one <laughs> or the one with the uh, the hot ass nanny that comes to visit and turns everyone into water. <laughs> hot ass nanny? <laughs> Wasn't that Is the name she of it? Hot? hot ass nanny? I, I think she's like very beautiful. I mean, she's like a she's snow frozen, queen. Frozen nanny. Yeah, she's a frozen nanny. Yes, that that one I particularly disliked. Um, the, it's this weird story. Okay, that one's like a fable. Let's just be yeah. Let's be honest about something. Just the three of us, and then whoever's okay. listening can agree or disagree. There is one Christmas story. It is about Santa Claus. Uh, wait a That's second. That's it. No, there is one. Wait, which story? What are you talking about? No, I mean. I don't care about your Norwegian bringing me wood Christmas story. I don't care about your stories in Honduras where you got your own thing. There's one universal story. A Christmas Carol Chris, by Charles Dickens. It should be it should be Chris Kringle Santa Claus. Okay, this Do we need any other mythological Christmases? This is very ethnocentric of you. Come on. <laughs> I get very confused. Like, okay. So in the story that we were talking about where the woman, the nanny comes and she's she's coming to help kids who have bad families at Christmas time, like it's a Christmas fable also. And but I don't understand where it exists in the canon next to Santa Claus. It's snowing. That's it. And she's like a <laughs> snowy witch. Don't think too hard about it. Honestly. Do they do they all like is this all in one like Marvel universe? I do not think these books are all in one Marvel universe because another story that was really weird is the one uh, I'm going to find what it's called, but it was really strange. Uh, Was it's told. Is it the one which like a post-apocalyptic one? Um, The fire zone. It's the one home where all the kids disappear. That's what I'm talking about. Oh Oh, yeah. 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 Um, That's a good one. I guess there are a lot of really weird ones, Um, but in, in this particular one, um, all these kids slowly disappear, you know, in chunks over the course, like on the hour all day on Christmas Day. Um, and then it turns out the one who's like telling the story is 
is very significant. It's like the last remaining kid. Um, and I don't want to give it away because I, I did find this ending like weird and creepy. But it cannot exist in the same universe as some of these. Um, because it's like about inherent evil. <laughs> and the rapture. What about the one where they, where they invite a cult leader over for Christmas? That one was amusing. Tenets by yeah. Josh, Ho- Josh Mallerman. Yeah, that was weird. All the characters were very judgy. Very judgy <laughs> so, yeah. to a point it's that a I found terrible... unrealistic. It's a terrible Christmas party, and one of the guests is a cult leader. Like, if somebody brought a cult leader to my Christmas party, would I immediately just start screaming at them? I don't think so. I think people are more polite than that. I don't... Well, this is the question, right? This is the stranger comes over for Christmas question. Like, okay, you're having your normal Christmas. You're, You're getting off on the nog. Everyone's opening up a little something. And then someone brings a weird friend over. Do you, as Anne, the character in Tenet's, says... You brought a fucking cult leader into our house? Anne had decided this wasn't over-hosting. <laughs> That's a good line. That's fine. <laughs> That's, that, I, I mean, it's it's a short story. It's not a novel. Like, I was fine with it. I was like, get to the point. What's it going to happen? <laughs> nothing. Yeah, the what kind of cult nothing. was the guy in? I'm like, great, confront him. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, and they use alcohol, right? They, the, right. They, yeah. Clearly, they're just drunk, so it's like, oh, they can say whatever they want. I, I was fine with it. Fine. <laughs> a story that I really liked that I want to talk about is the one hiking through near the end. Uh-huh. You guys, uh-huh. you guys remember yeah, oh yeah. I just thought it was funny. It's barely a Christmas ghost story. It's a it campfire. Happen, oh. It could happen yeah. anytime during the year. It could happen in February. Anytime it was snowing. But I thought it was funny, which was nice. Uh, you know, cause a lot of this book is kind of unintentionally funny or, or maybe it's, absurd is funny where you're like oh my god i can't believe that happened and you laugh but this is actually uh is well written hiking through by michael corita um i thought was just a, a funny voice and it was kind of refreshing near the end of the book to um to be in the hands of a very confident writer because i would say in general like eh, it's really i don't know what did you guys think about the writing overall in this book <sighs> Well, there's yeah. a cu- there's a couple I think fantastic writers in here. Like Michael Corita uh, is, is a fantastic writer. Joe Lansdale is a fantastic writer. Um, yeah. Joe Lansdale wrote one of my all time favorite books that actually did scare me, um, The Bottoms, um, which uh, I recommend highly. Um, but then some of them, okay. Let me let me also. <laughs> this is probably terrible, but like, okay. Sometimes you get asked to write a short story for an anthology. So this is a little inside baseball. And you bust it out in two days. And and they're like, we're going to give you $300 for it. And you're like, you're going to print 40,000 copies of this. You're going to give me $300 for it. And you write it in two days, and the editor takes it, and that's that. So yeah. in, I'm not going to point out anyone in particular here, but in some of these cases, I was like, oh, dude, you wrote this at the gym. Like, this, like the, the effort put into this was extraordinarily light. Um because yeah. if it was really good, you'd keep it for yourself. Um, hmm. <laughs> so in some ways, an anthology, I think, is, is a difficult thing to judge when it's not pre-published stuff somewhere else. It's stuff written for the book itself. Um, there's going to be some ups and downs and some low places in it. I think that's – I mean, it's true in every anthology I've ever been in, including some of my own work. Um, and so I'm not surprised. I think the highest high points in this – are, is some really fantastic writing, and the lowest low points are stories that you would reject from a literary magazine. Yeah, I sure, would... but you still might have fun reading them because yeah. they're 
about Christmas and horror. Yeah, because it's it's still much. fun. Like yeah. reading this book wasn't hard. Reading this book was fun. No, like yeah, I, I you know I, I I enjoyed reading it and, and thinking, oh come on, this is stupid. Um, but at no point yeah. was I like, this is horrible. The worst writing I've ever read. It's right. just like, oh, it's just sort of sophomoric and yeah, you know, you're going for the easy scare. But the like, well, let's look at this Joe Lansdale story for a moment. So Joe Lansdale is a legend of horror writing and mystery writing and all this stuff. Um, and for those of you who um, watch television, uh, he also created the characters um, Hap and uh, Leonard, which is on that show of the same name, uh, which I think is on TNT or something. Um at any rate, he has this story about, it's essentially about memory and about abuse and about mm-hmm. lost love. And for the first two-thirds of the story, like, it's a really good story about memory and weirdness and pain and about this woman that the narrator hasn't ever forgotten kissing him on a Christmas night in an old hotel. But eventually it has to get scary, and two guys lock themselves in a, hotel room waiting for something scary to happen and then something scary does happen and you're like well why would you ever go back to that fucking place and then they they got to drive someone back out there it still is ruled at the end of the story as well written as it is by this implausibility that i find about horror sometimes which is why would you put yourself in that situation yeah yeah it's i mean but you're right todd that this story is about something which is like you know, trying to punish or find justice for a woman who was abused, which a lot of horror is about. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, where the writing, that story was so well written, it was okay. There are other stories where they just sort of... It holds together well. Yeah. It's a good story. It's a a really good story, but I still have that leap of implausibility. But like horror relies on surprise. It has to be surprising or else it doesn't work. And a lot of these stories, particularly the first one, you know, they're just, you're just like, I know literally exactly what's going to happen, even if I've seen three horror movies. You know what I mean? Right. And that's, it really undercuts it. So when the writing gets kind of like easy or cliche, um, it wrecks the whole story, not just the style of the writing. The first story is the one with the uh, Absinthe and Angels by Kelly Armstrong. Yeah, where there's just creepy dudes knocking on the door. Yeah. Then, so then they it's kill a couple you. On, yeah, it's a couple on Christmas. <laughs> They're in a cabin in the woods. There's no one around. You know, They're drinking Absinthe and men in suits show up. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for the fact that horror in general, movies and, and books, are really for younger people. Like, mm. they're just better the younger you are, you mm. know, because you're more open to all the things we've been criticizing these stories for. Like, you don't care about, you know, you just want a good story. Right. And so I think this book would be, like, if you, like, here, here's what I'm going to say to our listeners. If you know, like, a really cool teenager in your life who's, like, into horror, this would be a great Christmas gift for them. Totally. Yes, because I, I think absolutely. like I would have loved this book when I was I don't know twelve, thirteen. I love short story. I remember scary stories to tell in the dark, and you know like as a Christmas gift, if somebody had given this to me, I probably would have been like all right, and felt like really badass for reading it, um, and then promptly forgotten that I had ever read. It. <laughs> but 
<laughs> I read a thousand um, books like this when I was a kid. You're right. Yeah. I really did. And I, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been wondering if horror is ruined for me now that I'm a parent because the suspension of, like, I just get too caught up in, like, the idea of a kid being murdered. You know, like it is mm -hmm. a lot more disturbing, which I would I hate when parents do that, say, like, you don't understand. But I don't know. I've been really having trouble, like, absorbing some horror material this year. And I watch a lot of it um, because of that. Yeah, I mean, so here's the other sort of larger existential question is, like, are you feeling it? this time of year this year in particular like i want to yeah. be scared yeah uh, like rachel maddow every day scares the crap out of me well like here's <laughs> like i have a you want to know the last time i got scared and ran out of a room uh watching lawrence o'donnell two nights ago <laughs> so yeah i mean here's like here's a really dark example uh so i've been doing an improvised horror movie um at my theater and that's so fun we just get a title and we do 90 minute improvised movie Oh, cool. It's so cool. And um, it's really hard. And it's cool to try to, like, use yeah. tropes in a new way. But anyway, um, last weekend, right after the synagogue shooting, somebody sh – we were, like, looking for, like, an event in someone's life. Like, someone will be, like, a wedding or starting your own business. And someone was, like, a bar mitzvah. And we were, like, we're not going to create a horror movie today and, like, kill a bunch of Jewish oh, kids yeah. before your eyes. And we didn't do it because we're smart. But like, but it's like and that was the last time oh CT improv performed. Yeah, uh, but like it's it it was that kind of moment of like, what are we doing? And like to the audience, you almost want to be like, is this really what you want to see? Like, is this what you want right now? Is this what you want to like hear and read and think mm. about? Um, so yeah, it's especially in book publishing, it's like, well, I guess maybe not if you write this at the gym, but like it would be impossible to predict. <laughs> The daily horror. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have 16 horror authors be like, "Motherfucker, I wrote this at home. You wanna step to me? You write a fucking horror in story, my home bitch. gym. Yeah. At my home gym. There have been lots of like essays and studies and books that track, you know, the the way that horror films, in particular, um, mirror or or follow or counteract. Um, big world events, like especially when we're at war, you know, like if, if you mm -hmm. look at periods of American, of course, we've been at war for the last 19 years now, so or 18 years, so whatever. But um, in I know that like a lot of people um, connect like the 80s horror to Vietnam, like it was a right. reaction mm. to Vietnam, where people were seeing the violence on television and the violence suddenly felt real and that's when horror films like in the late 70s early 80s became more gory um they mm -hmm. were gore oriented for the first time and then in times of relative peace they move away from gore so that in the 90s when we weren't at war or you know besides the gulf war which wasn't nearly as present in our lives as the vietnam war um you ended up having a lot more of the sort of uh, PG-13 Scream-like horror. Uh, yeah. which I guess Scream was R-rated. Right. But it wasn't based on sex and violence being visceral and in your face. And then when, when September 11th happens, you have that's when you get the cabin fevers. Uh, yay. And the, uh, the sort of torture porn tradition came out of 
you know, the the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. That's like one major sort of theory is that, you know, but again, like I said, now it's kind of shot because we're just at war all the time. But I do think that there's some truth to that. I think that there's some cultural connection there that, you know, what people, I don't know, like I, I think escapist horror is actually pretty great right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I I mean, I think Get Out, last year's Get Out is a perfect example of like, here's an escapist horror. It is kind of funny. It's absurd. You're laughing, Mm -hmm. but it obviously is also very socially relevant. So So the social relevance. That's a masterpiece. Yeah, I think all of the the horror, not, I mean, not all, there's so much, but, you know, a lot of the things that people have been most excited about from Get Out to hereditary to haunting of hill house it like a lot of them are about people not being believed in their paranoia like someone from a place of oppression is saying like this horrible thing is happening believe me believe me and nobody's and the world being like no you're wrong and that i mean it couldn't be more relevant right now and i don't know if that's always the scariest but it is certainly Mm. the most depressing uh That's true. So. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point, Julia. And I hadn't thought of it a horror in the way that you're framing it, Ryder. That, but, like, even when you think about, like, the torture porn um, horror movies that came out, it, they were coming out, like, when guys were coming home from war with their leg blown off. And all yeah. of a sudden, now you're wondering, like, oh, what does it feel like to have your leg blown off? Oh, I just went to a youth yeah. hostel, and they cut off my foot. Uh-huh. You know, like, you can see those, those hmm. parallels. Well, that's really interesting. Well, I have to reread the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you think about like Saw, right? Like right. the idea yeah. of like waking up and not no- having to do violence to your own leg. Like it's right. it's a pretty great metaphor for how America felt after 9-11, right? Like this sense right. that we're like, what do we do now? How do we do this without hurting ourselves in the process? You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, right. maybe overreaching. But I think that there's some truth to the idea that like we wanted things to be really real and really in your face and really tough decisions. Like yeah. we have to watch these characters go through and be like, oh, no, don't do that. And it's all like blood. And da, 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 as opposed to even like the ring which kind of came out around the same time but what's which was pg-13 you know and that that's that came out of the whole like asian ghost right. tradition which mm-hmm. is kind of its own its own separate you know, thing but, you know what um, yeah to be honest the only horror movie that i actually had to turn turn the uh turn around and leave the room in was the movie you were in writer where they were chopping you into pieces i was like i'm not watching writer get chopped into little pieces I'm not going to yeah. do that. My, my mom like was just bawling and screaming yeah. in the theater. Like, and, like that was the point where I was like, like, I'm not make down. her mom watch that. I, I was like, I didn't make her watch it. She went to pieces. go see her son was in a movie. She went to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> she did. I mean, she should have known. Right. Uh, also, I talked to her that day. So like, what is really not like, but, you think that this is real? But like, <laughs> the yeah, suspension of disbelief it. was hard. It was harder in that because I was like, Ryder really looks like he's in pain. Oh, they're cutting off his, his midsection now. I'm going to stop watching this dumb movie. Well, uh, <laughs> they're killing so Ryder that, Strong. I, went- I got a funny story about that. So, you know, I took the head home because they made a full – my head because my right. head appears later in the film after it's been chopped off. <laughs> this is the film Borderland, by the way, which is kind of an, uh, an underrated missed movie. I, I, it's really, really well shot. It looks amazing. It is. It's beautifully uh, I will say shot. that. So if, if people that are horror fil- fans and want to see um, – it came out after Hostel and was sort of lumped in as like a Hostel ripoff. But actually, the script had been written before Hostel, and um, and it was based on a true story, which is even more terrifying. Oh, right. But anyway, yes. Um, so my my head gets chopped off in the movie. Spoiler. And at one point, they like 
the other characters are trying to save me and they're like looking through a window and they watch them pull teeth out of my head. So they had this really amazing, like I think this head got paid more than I did to do the movie. (laughs) This head cost more to make. And they, and they molded my whole head, which was like a dream come true because it was meant that I became like Michael Jackson and thriller. You know, remember that? Like I grew up watching (laughs) where he got his head molded. So I was like, I've made it as an actor. My head is being molded. Uh, and then they made this amazing head with an art, like a jaw that you could open and fake teeth that you could pull out with pliers. And uh, at the end of the movie, they let me keep the head. And I was like, wow. this is so great. So I had my head in a bloody burlap sack. Jesus. And I brought it home. And then I was like, where do I put this? <laughs> Wait, and, what did you And I realized like... Well, I didn't know what to do because I was like, it's almost worse to hide this somewhere. <laughs> like, where do you hide a very realistic human head that is your head? But Bobby, I mean, it had eyeballs. It had like a tongue. It had teeth. Like I didn't. So I just shoved it in my closet for a while. And then I like, we hired a housekeeper. Like I didn't have a person clean up. <laughs> I hired a housekeeper. And God, no. That's a setup. It, there was no payoff. Oh. Honestly, like she never discovered uh. it. But I realized, like, when I was, you know, I had hired somebody to clean my house. I was like, oh my God, I am going to give this woman a heart attack. So I was having a party, and the director of Borderland, Zev Berman, came to visit. I was like, Zev, you have to take the head back. He's like, what? Wait, it's just bad juju? I'm like, yeah, sure. It's just bad juju, but I can't have it in my house. So I gave away my own head. Oh, wow. Oh, That's Jesus. a great story. <laughs> I wonder where that head is now. Dun, dun, uh, dun, I'm sure dun. Zev still has it. I'll, I'll, I'll actually, I'll ask him when this episode comes. Oh, wow. God. That's amazing. That's funny. <laughs> Well, anyway, folks, that's Hark the Herald Angels Scream, edited by the New York Times bestselling author Christopher Golden. Uh, if you've got a horror fan and a Christmas fan in your family, it'd be a really good stocking stuffer, actually. A good book to give that's out to uh, to someone that uh, that you love. Uh, a little uneven in places, but, you know, it's an anthology. I would have curled People up on Christmas night and totally dug into this. You're yes, so right. Yes, I would have read totally. it, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Uh, we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into Rider's Head. That is such a good story. Wow. That scared, that's the one I'm going to wake up tonight thinking about. All right. Well, you know, the other, the other, the other uh, little side note is that they had, a, they had a bunch of body parts for this movie, and we were shooting in Tijuana, so we were crossing the border constantly. Oh, God. And sure enough, the, the truck got pulled over with all the body parts, the fake body parts. So these poor border guards had to open up the back of this truck and see just a, a pile of human bodies. And like, oh my God. The makeup, makeup department was like, no, 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 it's all fake, it's all fake. <laughs> wow. Imagine like you open up and you no. just see all these body parts and somebody's like, it's fake, no. it's fake. <laughs> we wouldn't believe them. It's the no. best possible place Luckily, to hide a real body. we're sending troops to the borders now, so. Yeah. Magnolia.